Trades Talk. Trades Talk? Trades Talk. My name is Leah Denhartok. And I'm John Tenpenny. And welcome, welcome to Trades Talk. Welcome to the second episode of Trades Talk, a plumbing and HVAC podcast series and the place to get the latest information surrounding the skilled trades industries. Before we dive in to what will be a jam-packed episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor for this episode, A.O. Smith. For over 140 years, A.O. Smith has offered a full line of hot water heaters ranging from smaller residential installations all the way up to larger multi-structure complexes. For this episode, they will also be our tech talk expert. Take a listen as Paul Tomlin, technical service supervisor at A.O. Smith, discusses the inner workings of thermal expansion. But first, we'll be joined by Tim Padfield of Padcar Mechanical and Scott Monroe of Opus Mechanical as part of our very first Contractors Roundtable. Tim is a mechanical engineer by trade and second generation owner of Padcar Mechanical, which was founded in 1985. They operate out of Medicine Hat, Alberta. Scott formed Opus Mechanical in 2017 with his business partner. They have two offices, one located in Vaughan and the other in downtown Toronto. Both contracting companies work in the commercial industry in a multidiscipline capacity. Thanks for joining both of us. It's always the elephant in the room anytime we have a conversation these days. Uh, COVID, I, I wanted to start maybe by asking you guys, how, how you both mentioned that you, you've been doing all right even with COVID, but I want to ask about uh, the year that's that's gone by and and since about this time last year, you know how you guys have managed to uh, navigate everything that that COVID has brought us from uh, from safety protocols to to lost business to new business and, and things like that. Maybe maybe Scott, if you want to start us off. Sure. Like I mean, it's been difficult for everybody, as as you know. Um, for us, um, and I think for a lot of my competitors in, in the greater Toronto area, um, we were fortunate enough that there was enough essential service work that was happening um, to keep uh, some of your core uh, individuals going. So we were fortunate enough to have um, quite a bit of essential service work and actually found that it, 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 it related into opportunity, uh, ironically. Um, a lot of the buildings when they were empty, whether it's during the shutdowns or what have you, really took it upon themselves to update their air systems. So um, try and update and be compliant so that when, when this COVID cloud lifts us one day that um, they can attract uh, their tenants to, to make sure that they feel safe to come back into their building. So um, whether it's bioionization, filtration, all, all kinds of different things that are happening. We found that our clients were investing in their, in their, in their facilities and in their buildings. And so we took, it, uh, took advantage of that and uh, really tried to be part of that value added service. And it's really helped us. Um, and so that's that's the way we dealt with it. We had our construction activities, a lot of it um, outside of essential work, whether it's just like, you know, doing some retrofit work for law firms or banks or whatever, you know, uh, in the large uh, high-rise commercial buildings downtown, that work halted. Um, so that was, that was a big impact uh, to a lot of the groups here. But with that slowly unraveling, uh, things are getting back up and running. But it, it had a big impact. And um, it's, I don't think, uh, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can go into talking about what we're foreseeing in, uh, in 2021 and moving on, but I'll, I'll save that for later on. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Thanks, Tim. How, how about yourself? How, how have you guys, how have you navigated and how have you, how have you felt about how you guys have uh, gotten through the past year in terms of uh, COVID's effect on, 
on business? Well, yeah, it's, uh, good question. So, you know, kind of a different dynamic for us uh, than, than Scott's side of the world. So being from Alberta, um, we were already in trouble with the construction industry and, and, and already had our haircut as far as projects and difficulty getting work when COVID hit, um, mainly because of our dependence on the oil and gas industry. And, you know, we're in the middle of a, uh, a oil price war. Uh, we couldn't get pipelines to go anywhere. A tough, a tough world already. And then uh, COVID hit. So, you know, for, for many of us as companies, I mean, obviously there's, it, it was a, a stressful time to, to, to try and get new work and, and what work you did have, you know, you were hoping that would, would carry forward. And the Alberta government, um, while in Ontario, they deemed certain segments of the construction industry to be essential. In Alberta, we never had any form of a uh, global or a definition of a shutdown on our construction industry at all. So even residential construction was uh, permitted to, to continue forward of all kinds. So that was a good thing on that perspective. So, you know, uh, our staff were assured that we had work. The new protocols that we had to put into place obviously was a challenge for everybody. And the, uh, quite frankly, none of us, you know, including our own industry uh, professionals out there, really knew, you know, how, how to do this, you know, what, 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 did, what was the right criteria? How did we find information? And fortunately, our associations really stepped up and tried to get information to all of us contractors across the country on how we should be dealing with things, you know, but we're, you know, certain things just fell in between the cracks too, you know, when you had a staff member that was just paranoid to come to work and just said, I'm not coming. And, you know, what, what was your responsibility as an employer? Do you hold your his job in that uh, case, uh, his or her job. How do you treat that person? How do you pay that person? What benefits, you know, do the short-term disability programs kick in? So it was definitely a wild time. We've gotten through most of those issues now, and I think we all have some marching orders going forward, but to say we're through it, you know, certainly not at this point yet, you know, there's, <laughs> there's things that come up every time in different waves. And, you know, our bigger challenges now these days, you know, and, and even at the beginning is we have, you know, as a commercial contractor, we have hard and fast contracts in place. And if, you know, does force majeure come into play, you know, are you still responsible regardless of the fact that the government shut you down, but the owner is still expecting his job to get complete? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that is, and on a new contract, you know, you know, we certainly worked with our associations and, and industry is if you bid on a new job, can you claim force majeure if there's another shutdown because you already knew you bid it in the middle of the pandemic, so you're supposed to bid it accordingly. You know, there's a lot of challenges for contractors, you know, around COVID. Oh, yes. still are. So what would you say, what, what, what suggestions did you hear from some of these associations that, that you used as some aids to use against the COVID and the safety of the workplace? So what would you suggest to other contractors out in the industry? What best practice would you suggest? Well, as far as um, protocols go, uh, I mean, obviously we've, we've got guides on how to do that, but, you know, having documented processes for your staff, following it up, providing the proper PPE for them, you know, hazard assessments, there's a big difference. If you can avoid uh, close proximity of working with each other, if you can't, then you have to put the proper gear and, and provisions in place. Um, you know, it comes down to even company vehicles, you know, sanitizing vehicles in between use or maintaining the same driver at all times. Uh, we saw, you know, it used to be lots of time where you'd have two people jump into a company vehicle and go to a job site you know, now we're putting protocols in place where we'll take separate vehicles. It's tough if you have out-of-town work. Um, again, mm-hmm. Medicine Hat is, is kind of a, 
community where we do a lot of stuff, like I said, you know, within an hour. So we're, we're often driving to Canadian Forces Bay Suffield and very expensive to take four vehicles if you need to have four guys out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think every company's situation is a little bit unique, but there's definitely some good guides out there. And MCA Canada has uh, a good COVID guide, you know, providing those recommendations. And as always, follow your provincial health guidelines. There's some good information out there now as well. Thanks, Tim. I'd like to stop for a second to remind our listeners that later on in the podcast, we will have our Tech Talk segment. Here's a sneak peek as Paul Tomlin of AO Smith explains thermal expansion to us. Thermal expansion can get so high that it can actually damage the water heater in the way of, of expanding it, we'll call, lack of better words, expanding it like a balloon. Oh, gosh. Um, and crush internal components on mixing valves, in mixing valves, or in tanks. Tune back in later in the episode to learn more about thermal expansion. And now let's go back to our contractors roundtable. Now, Scott, you mentioned in the in your last answer there that the uh, the retrofitting industry has had a, had uh, it's kind of stalled during the pandemic. Well, how did that affect your company? Did you guys have to limit your staff a bit? How did that How did that work for you? Yeah, we definitely did. Um, it's, um, you know, when, when those all stalled, everything went on pause, basically, is what mm-hmm. happened. Um, the essential service work uh, that, that we did have and, and the industry had here uh, tried to keep as many people as going as possible. But you're right, there was a lot of, uh, there, was a, there were a lot of layoffs that, that happened, which was unfortunate. There's, um, you take advantage of, um, of, uh, of the government subsidies where you can. Um, but uh, it was it was it was a dif- difficult time for a lot of uh, tradesmen and women and, and, and uh, project managers and estimators as well. I can imagine. The um, I will say, though, that um, like there's a lot of discussion or chat with regards to a changing environment in the retrofit industry, meaning that oh. the demand for workspace isn't going to be there because people now have all learned to work remotely and that companies are getting the proper um, productivity that they need from their employees by mm-hmm. working. But I, I'm, I'm not buying into it and I'm seeing more and more studies, uh, whether it uh, be on some social media uh, news uh, agencies or on, on TV, that that's just not the way it is. People want a place to go to work. People, culture cannot be created with everyone working remotely. That, so in talking to the major landlords and some of the, uh, the end user clients here in, um, in Ontario anyways, um, the demand for space is, is never been more prevalent and, um, and, and forefront. So uh, we're, we're expecting, um, I'm not gonna call it a boom, but we're expecting to be uh, very busy in the latter half of 2021 and early 2022 with some projects that we're personally involved in. And I know some of my competitors are involved in with budgeting and what have you. So it's not all doom and gloom. As much as there is a big pause uh, for life in general, um, for everyone, mm-hmm. think things are things are gonna be good again. Well, we can only hope. Uh, yes, what, about, can. what about you, Tim? How has the retrofitting uh, industry been affected out in Alberta? Well, again, um, again, yeah, we're seeing, you know, definitely a, a lull in that side of things right now. There seems to be, you know, in the commercial world, you know, a good indicator is what's happening at the, uh, at the various consulting firms and stuff like that. And, and, and there is quite a bit of activity starting to happen now. There are mm-hmm. funds and dollars available for people. Definitely, as Scott mentioned before, um, 
some of the ventilation upgrades and protocols like that uh, are just coming online now and being defined. So we're expecting to see an increase in that market when it comes to proper ventilization, sterilization of air systems. So we're optimistic that there's going to be some work ahead of that. Again, you know, in Alberta, there's still the, we have a double whammy, you know, in terms of just what's available for provincial funding and revenues, uh, just because our, our budget is, is still very oil and gas heavy and mm -hmm. that sector remains low. So the government is trying to cut funds at the same time, trying to help stimulate the economy where they can. So not quite as, you know, promising in that respect, but I think there's still some good signs and talking to individual contractors, you know, through our association work and stuff, you know, everybody seems to be surviving. I'm, I, I, I don't think there's a sense of panic like there was last year. I think there's optimism in the air. So I think that's a good thing. I think that can only be a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, guys, I wanted to, to ask as well. I mean, you're, you're saying you're both sounding optimistic as, as we sort of come out of this and there's some, has been some benefits in terms of some, some jobs that'll be out there. I want to ask in sort of looking behind and ahead at the same time, I wonder if you guys could maybe talk to me, have there been some lessons learned some things you're going to take from this year from hell, so to speak, and, and, and moving forward and, and what it, what, what can we take from, from our experiences over the past year as we, as we move our business forward? Maybe Scott. That's um, wow. That's a great question. Um, I try. <laughs> and uh, well, you, yes, you're, you're doing well. The, my, <laughs> I, I mean, aside from personal um, reflection from a business point of view, Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger proponent on um, diversification now than I've ever been in, in sense of not having all your eggs in one basket, you know, knowing that at any given time, I mean, uh, my, my, the mentor that I had in this industry always told me or taught me to try and look for recession proof work wherever possible, which is not always, you know, the easiest thing to do, but <laughs> You know, having a construction arm with with a service back, you know, support group and and diversification of not just HVAC and plumbing, but uh, you know, doing some electrical as well, or you know, whatever the case may be, depending on on your forte or where your uh, what your market uh, can absorb. I, I'm I've learned more now that um, don't be greedy and try and grab everything. Be, be good at what you do. Just take on what, you know, where you can bring value to the whole, uh, the whole equation and, and be as diverse as possible. Um, Tim, I, I can, I can guess you're going to say in terms of diverse, you guys are a bit stuck with oil and gas in Alberta, but what, what were some of the lessons and things you've taken from, from this past year that, that you think could help or, or, you, or as you move forward? Well, certainly the ability, and I think, you know, Scott mentioned, uh, you know, one of the facilities they have is, um, you know, along the lines of being able to, provide uh, prefabrication uh, work. So again, you know, with the ability to do as much on-site or sorry, on-site um, at, you know, at our facility prefab work where we can control the environment. So again, even things like COVID protocols and stuff like that, it's difficult to do at a construction site um, in some respects, whereas in a uh, controlled environment where you would prefab things, it's easier to you know, sanitize work areas, control the, you know, flow of people within the work areas. And uh, those types of things are certainly, you know, been brought to light to us that as much work we can do that way, the better it'll be for us and our productivity 
you know, is better as well. And I see a big future when it comes to prefabrication work. As far as staff goes, I mean, obviously the biggest thing with staff is to, uh, you know, have, have uh, those open channels of communication, you know, certainly in, in a pandemic type thing, uh, misinformation can flow very rapidly in a company. So having, you know, the ability to, you know, the difficult part is the, the last thing we were supposed to do is bring 60 people together in a room and have a meeting. So, you know, <laughs> the, the flow of information, you know, and how we got that out to people uh, w- was really key. So, uh, you know, I think we've put some mechanisms and systems in place to, to help us with that. And uh, I think that'll help as well. You know, in Alberta, you know, as far as, as much as I say we're oil and gas, I think Scott's right. You know, our province is maybe not as diversified, but as a, as a company, we, we've learned those lessons over the years as well. So, you know, we don't just work in the uh, um, industrial sector or the institutional sector. You know, we've learned that it has to be anything, you know, how big a company we are from a, from a basement renovation to a multi-million dollar hospital addition all falls within our repertoire, but again, you got to find your niche markets as well, but diversifying always helps. Agreed. Yeah. And if I could add one more thing, because Tim, you know, your team, your employees and the people, and uh, you know, you're only as good as the people that you have on your team. And um, we've all learned so much during this uh, pandemic that, you realize that if you look after your people, they're going to look after you. And, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk about the importance of, of the quality of the people that are in this industry um, from coast to coast. Thank you both Scott and uh, Tim for joining us today. I think uh, that's all the time we have for our, uh, our segment here for our very first contractors round, uh, round table. So thank you very much. I think you both gave us uh, some really interesting points and uh, looking forward to working together, hopefully on another episode together for the podcast. So thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate your perspective. As promised, our next segment of Tech Talk will look at thermal expansion in water heaters. Take a listen as Paul Tomlin of A.O. Smith dives deep into the nuances of that field. For contractors looking to learn about charging thermal expansion tanks, make sure to stay tuned to the very end. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Paul, for our uh, Tech Talk segment. And today we're going to be talking about thermal expansion in water heaters. Um, So why don't you just start out? Tell me a little bit about what actual thermal expansion is. Why does this happen? Okay, so thermal expansion is is basically a phenomenon where um, when you start to heat cold water, um, cold water starts to expand. And as it expands, it, it uh, generally in the past, in, in the days prior to what we have today, expansion would normally expand into the main plumbing system. So as, as we bring in cold water and introduce it into the cold water, into the hot water tank, the, uh, the tank would start to heat water. And as it heated, it would expand. And all of our expansion that would happen within the home would then expand out into the main plumbing system, back into the main plumbing, out into the city. Well, today, due to uh, government regulations and such, um, the government, the, the plumbing companies do not want this water that they, you've brought into your home back into the main supply. And the reason they don't want this, is they don't want to bring any um, uh, bacterias or anything that are in your home back into the plumbing system. That so what they've done is they've introduced check valves 
or, okay. or water meters or reducing valves, which will stop your water from going back into the main plumbing supply. This then closes our home to the plumbing system. And now it's called what they call a closed loop system. Okay. So now the, now the expansion has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And so as it expands, this can actually cause some serious damage to faucets, dishwashers, plumbing so, fixtures in your house. So let's let's focus on that a little bit. So what what exact type of damage can be caused by uh, by thermal expansion? So basically, what happens is we have on a on a um, water heater we have a pressure and uh, relief a pressure and temperature relief valve, which will allow the pressure to blow off at 150 psi. And when they do expand, um, it will it will start to leak or start to drip out of your T and P valve. This could also cause damages to your um, mixing valve cartridges with inside faucets, within washing machines and dishwashers, and damage them so much that they can actually um, cause mixing. So when I say mixing, causing them so that the cold water can um, move over into the hot water line, actually cause some uh, crossover plumbing issues, can actually cause them to fail. Thermal expansion can get so high that it can actually damage the water heater in the way of of expanding it, we'll call, lack of better words, expanding it like a balloon. Oh gosh. Um, And crush internal components on mixing valves, in mixing valves or in tanks. Paul, is there there any way uh, to to know this is happening other than seeing damage in your appliances or... So what will happen is one of the main causes or, or things that you'll start to notice is, uh, like I mentioned, we had a, we have a thermal ex, uh, TMP valve, sorry, on the side of our water heater. And the TMP valve is set to blow off at a safety measure at 150 PSI. These uh, TMP valves are generally, um, they're spring loaded. So they start to drip. And what will happen is a customer might notice a little bit of water on the floor after a new installs happened. And the you know, the, the argumentative is going to be, their argument's going to be, oh, I never had any water on the floor. I think the tank's leaky. However, if you've got water dripping out of your T&P valve, um, our plumbing code standards stipulate um, a maximum of 80 PSI allowable into a dwelling where people live. So at 80 PSI, these T&P valves will start to drip and cause an annoying drip water um, build up on the floor. That's basically how you get the first notice is seeing water dripping down that pipe. And is that sometimes where maybe people miss what's going on if they're not, they think, oh, it's just a little drip. It's, it's not like it's pouring gushing water and it's just a little drip. I'm okay. And then forget about it. And then something bad happens after. Well, it, it generally, it, it's something that will not go away. It doesn't, not, it doesn't cure itself or fix itself. If you don't have a thermal, um, thermal expansion tank installed into the system, something to control the thermal expansion of water, that TMP valve will just get progressively worse and just start being an annoyance of water pouring on the floor. Um, the higher the water pressure builds, the more water is released by that valve. So if a homeowner goes in and they manually open this TMB, uh, TMP valve, sorry, uh, is that enough for the long term uh, to stop it from expanding too much? No, a, a TMP valve is not a thermal expansion device. It's designed as a safety device to the water heater so that it doesn't exceed 150 PSI. It is in no way um, a, a, a precautionary measure or a way to prevent thermal expansion. So the only solution then would be this expansion tank that you've mentioned? 
Correct. Okay. And so, the con sorry, is that something the contractor should be when you're, is that, you know, as a, as a, as a go-to when you're, when the people are, sell, you know, installing hot water tanks, is this usually something they should be uh, recommending or letting the customers know that, you know, you, you probably want to have this or you should look at it or, you know, how does, how do you think that uh, how should operate? So absolutely. I mean, it should be something that should be in all the, um, the estimates or install uh, questions that come into installing a new water heater. I mean, I know some of the questions come from homeowners. Well, I've never had this before. Why is this happening now? I've never needed a thermal expansion in the past. Well, no, we haven't. It's only because of recent government regulations that are starting to close water systems in homes due to, uh, you know, Legionnaire's disease, et cetera, and bacteria and such. The, the municipalities don't want back into their main line. So, um, over time, if you had, for argument's sakes, a 15-year-old water heater in your house and you've never had a problem, well, that, that, that TNP valve that's installed in there, as I mentioned, at about 80 PSI, you'll start to see them drip. Well, what happens is they don't drip after so many years. It could be a big buildup of calcium in these TNP valves, where on a safety measure, they would blow off at 150 PSI, but they're sort of resistant to dripping because of all that buildup over time. So the customer says, I've never had trouble before. Why am I having trouble on a new heater? Well, this is because now you're in a closed system and the, the manuals and such all stipulate any closed system must have thermal expansion. There's plumbing guidelines and codes and, and local um, bylaws that re require thermal expansion on, uh, on some new home constructions and et cetera. So right. is, it, is it easy then for a contractor just to slap a thermal expansion tank then into the system? Or is there some type of sizing that has to go along with this, this type of technology? So, so there is sizing. There are, there are various uh, programs online that will help a contractor size a thermal expansion tank. But basically a rule of thumb is um, a 55-gallon water heater would take about a two-gallon thermal expansion tank and uh, below, sorry, 55 gallon and below, anything 55 gallons and up would be a five gallon tank. That's generally the rule of thumb that we have here, but there are some factors that come into it as well. How much of a uh, differential, when I say differential, I mean how much of a, uh, from cold water to how hot you're heating the water. So if that cold, if the incoming water temperature is lower and you're trying to heat the water hotter, the hotter you go, the more expansion will happen with that, that, uh, that water. So it's always better if you're, if you're not sure to go a little bit bigger and put in a uh, 55 inch, uh, sorry, 55, uh, five gallon tank. Um, one thing to remember though, it's, it's very important when, when a uh, tank is sold, a thermal expansion tank is sold, it'll come pre-charged and depends on the manufacturer. It could be anywhere from 20 PSI to 40 PSI within the tank itself. Um, a thermal expansion tank needs to be air pressure charged. So when you look at a thermal expansion tank, it's got a rubber bladder halfway through the tank. One side is going to be filled with water. The other side is filled with air. And how you have to size a thermal expansion tank or charge a thermal expansion tank would be to measure your incoming water pressure to your home. And then you would have to pre-charge the thermal expansion tank with air to match your incoming water pressure coming into the home so that you have a balanced diaphragm within the, the tank. So you've mentioned uh, charging the, 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 the thermal expansion tank. What does that exactly mean? 
Charging it means uh, you, we're charging it with air. So you're basically going to fill, uh, put a bicycle pump on one side or a compressor or whatever you have accessible to charge. And on the side of it, a thermal expansion tank, you'll have like um, a little nipple like you would have on a bicycle tire. Okay. And you would just pump it up to meet the uh, pressure on the air side before you connect it up to the system. So this is straight out of the box on the floor. You're gonna pump that uh, air bladder side to match your incoming water pressure. Now, to, how does a customer match a water pressure? They sell gauges that screw on to a faucet in your home or onto a drain valve onto the water heater that can actually measure the water pressure coming in as a standing unit before the water is heated. And that'll give you a general pressure of your incoming water. Generally, it's a, on an average um, would be between 50 and 60 PSI in a residential home. Mm -hmm. So how much PSI, how much expansion can an actual water heater actually handle? None. None? No. So what happens is this is why what happens is the tank will expand. So you do have a... Um, a um, metal can expand and contract, but over time we have a glass lining, a glass coating on the inside of a thermal expand. Uh, sorry, inside of a water heater that will damage and micro fracture due to expansion and contraction because the glass cannot expand. That makes so sense. as it starts to fracture, this is where you get um, premature failures on water heaters because we're we're, we're having these uh, all the glass inside the tank micro fracture. So does it like shatter then? Is that what I'm imagining? It doesn't shatter. It just like just cracks. It becomes very small cracks within the glass. So you remember the inside of the glass is not like um, um, a, a, an actual piece of glass like like the old, old time thermoses used to be. This is more okay. like a sprayed on uh, glass enamel, more like the inside of your oven. And um, so what happens is by expanding and contracting the metal, it will crack the glass because the glass can't expand. Okay. Paul, I'm wondering, uh, as you're talking about regulations and cool systems, is, is do you see a time when our, our expansion tanks going to just become mandatory or part of the, you get a water heater, it comes with an expansion tank kind of thing? I don't know if it's ever going to come down to when you buy a water heater, it's going to come with an expansion tank that won't come from something from, from a um, manufacturer on our end. But I do see it actually becoming mandated in plumbing. I know it's, it's already there for new home constructions. Mm -hmm. And um, so I can see it advancing. And what happens is it sort of makes it rule or, or let's say code or law where our manual stipulates in any closed system, there must be a thermal expansion tank. So then that becomes the more stringent and our codes are all stipulate, you must abide by the more stringent. And if our code, if our installation manual says it's required in a closed system, it's required and it must be installed. Um, now you've talked a little bit about the plumbing system. Is there anything, and I think you hinted at this a little bit, but is there anything else in the actual plumbing system that can be installed with a contractor that would combat thermal expansion other than the tank? Um, there are thermal relief valves that they do have, um, uh, some home constructions have them and they're, they're actually funny enough installed in the toilets. Oh. And what it does is it will, it's set to a certain pressure relief and it relieves the water pressure as it climbs into the, into the toilet bowl so that uh, the water never exceeds this pressure. Okay. Um, the problem with that I find over time, I hear all the time where the customer's complaining that they're constantly hearing running water flush at night. Now you gotta remember during the day, our water pressures will be a lot lower than they will be at night. 
during the day, everybody uses water. There's water being used everywhere. So water pressures will be a lot lower. You well, go to sleep at night, right? everyone stops, and those water pressures climb. And this is where climbing water pressure, including or uh, contributing to the thermal expansion that you're having within your home, becomes such uh, detrimental to the tank. Paul, I want to I want to thank you for your time and uh, appreciate you expanding on this this topic that uh, that I'm sure all our contractors know about. But I think it's a good uh, a good reminder uh, for 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 people that are involved in the in the hot water market to to remember that you know when and when and where they need to to think about thermal expansion tanks. Thank you to everyone for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Our next episode will be airing in April. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook to get the most up-to-date information about Trades Talk. Stay safe and sane during these crazy, crazy times, and please wear your mask.